Uh, well, the topic really is a very broad and very important one. Oh, revelation. Oh, okay. uh, and that is, uh, not revelation uh, is a specific or one aspect of the discussion, but primarily we're going to talk about the accuracy, the historicity, the proofs of the Torah. Uh, because this is an area which is obviously very crucial for us Jews. You know, the Torah is the bedrock of, of, what we, of our religion, of course. Uh, we read it in every synagogue. We revere it. You know, this is this is the fabric of our nation, uh, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings about it. You know, there's a lot of mitzvahs that we know, but most of us, you know, I don't know, maybe most of us, a lot of us have read the entire book. Some of us maybe haven't finished the entire book, and uh, what the Jewish people have been claiming for all these years, or the Jewish philosophical mainstream stance for the past couple of millennia. Uh, since since Moses from a three thousand years has been that the book Torah, not the entire Bible, the five books of the Torah are written by Moses, this fellow by the name of Moses, and it was dictated to him by God. So Moses is a prophet. The definition of a prophet is someone who is able to uh, have uh, be a receptacle of God's communication. Varying levels of prophecy, but Moses is the epitome or the apex uh, of, 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 the, of the prophecy. He's on the Mount Rushmore all alone uh, of prophets. And God dictates to Moses what word to write. So the first word of the Torah is Bereshit. God says, okay, I want you to write Bereshit. Fantastic. You wrote Bereshit. Let's go to the next word. Bara. And that continually, continually from the beginning of the Torah all the way to the uh, end of the 304,805 letters over 5,845 verses. Right? That's what the Jewish people have claimed. Uh, that's the, and that is uh, what Maimonides writes as being the, one, of the, one of the fundamental principles of the Torah, that Jews have to believe that this Torah was written by Moses as per the dictation of God many thousands of years ago, and that was delivered to the Jewish people. As to the status of the last eight verses, that is the only verses that are in question as to who is the author. Uh, the eight verses at the end of the Torah, all the way at the end of Deuteronomy, discuss the death of Moses. Moses died. So the question is, did Moses write it before he died as a prophecy? Just like many parts of the Torah, Torah is, is not only non-linear, that doesn't follow chronological order, but the Torah foretells things that happen in the future. Right? The Torah makes predictions, and hopefully we'll see some of the predictions today. Uh, so uh, was the last eight verses written by Moses foretelling his own demise? That's one opinion of the Talmud, was written by Joshua. That's a second opinion. Either way, those are the only verses that are in question. The rest of the uh, 5,830, I guess there would be 38 verses, or 37 verses, uh, were, uh, according to the Jewish tradition, written by Moses as per the tradition of God. So now, so now it's important. There's the prophecies written by Joshua, by Solomon, by David, by Ezekiel, etc. And those were prophets, and we accept those words as being the word of God, so to speak, but not word for word. More like the idea. That says, okay, I want you to write so-and-so or communicate this to the Jewish people, and you write it. It's, it, has, it has a filter, and that filter is uh, the prophet. They have to put their own input and their own flair and style into writing it. Moses... Uh, or the Torah, uh, and the, the way the Jewish people have always understood the Torah is, not, is that Moses didn't input anything. God told Moses, you write this, and he just wrote it. He is just a direct channel uh, uh, between the Almighty and, and the Jewish people. So that's number one. Now, the ramifications of this is very important. This is why the discussion is a very, very important one. 
uh, because for us Jews, you know, our entire nation, our entire uh, religion, everything that we've been living and practicing for thousands of years is all based on that first assumption. We eat matzah and Passover, and we uh, we we fast on Yom Kippur, and we wear mezuzah. We have mezuzahs on our doors, and we wear tefillin, and we pray. All that is based on that one assumption. All the mitzvahs that we do, all the Jewish teachings that we uh, impart onto our children, all the bar mitzvah studies that we do, the kids shalem from the Torah, all the investment that we do in Jewish charities, the support of Israel, all that is based upon the fact that you know we're the Jewish people, we're unique because of the Torah. This, these stories are real, and they are vibrant and active today. It has a lasting uh, effect because the, to- the Torah is still active as we speak. That's the ramifications if it's true. If it's not true, if it's false, uh, or if it was fabricated, it was a hoax, Moses was a charlatan, it was written by someone else, any way that the Torah is not true, the way it's described itself to be true is written by Moses as per the dictation of God, either written by someone else, or um, the stories never happened, there were no miracles, the whole thing in Egypt never happened, none of the miracles at Sinai happened, none of the templates happened, all that was made up, and we'll have to examine the evidence. Uh, But if that indeed was so, then it's important for us to realize that we are living a lie, collectively. And we have been, and our grandparents have been, and all that they gave up, and all the marginalizations, and all the pogroms, and all the inquisitions, and all the holocaust, and all that was because we were steadfastly uh, supporting and adhering to a fabrication and a hoax and a lie. Everything, all the collective history of Jewish people was based upon an entire, entire fallacy. So that's why on, 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 on both sides of the equation, there's a lot of gravity. Uh, and for us personally, it could be very unsettling, very uneasy. Like this could be, this, I, I think if we're going to do this discussion the proper way, most people here will be agitated, I, I hope, I, I, because the information is not just some idea that's out there, and it is an idea that's out there, but for all of us, we have to take this idea and bring it within ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, okay, what is the evidence, and therefore, what does it mean? Do you feel that, oh, I feel that most of Jews in this country do not consider charity and being good and supporting Israel because of COVID. I mean, they're not yeah. thinking okay. because okay. of COVID. I, 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 yeah, that's true. That's true that there's a lot. And, and a lot of thing on their mind. That's true. That, that's true. Well, that's but uh, most Jews don't even know the Torah. Uh, most, people don't, most, most people don't ever have this hour-long conversation that we're going to have in their lives. They never, ever examine the evidence one way or the other. Uh, but it's a very important discussion because this... Uh, the conclusion that we will draw, that we could draw, or at least the dialogue that we're going to have here is probably the most important, you know, one item of information that we'll ha- ever have to choose in our lives. Isn't there a way of looking at it that it's not black or white, that even if it's not literally true in every single aspect of it, that it's still a worthy way of so, living your life? That that is the a preferred answer for all of us. Yes. We all would prefer that to be true. Um, however, so, so let, let, let me let me let me uh, re- reference an idea here. This is what the Talmud says, just to, just to underscore what the traditional perspective has always been. Talmud says, "Everyone has believed that the entire Torah, both written and oral, are true. Everyone has believed. If someone doesn't believe it, they have no portion on the Jewish people." Talmud is very very strong ab- ab- about this particular point. 
you have to believe it in its entirety. How much so? You know, how much? Uh, to what degree do we have to do we have to uh, uh, um, uh, believe into the accuracy, authenticity, uh, historicity, uh, veracity of the Torah? If someone says, so this is a direct quote from the Talmud, it's in Sanhedrin, I believe it's uh, 99A, 98A, 100A, one in that area I can find it, exactly if you're interested in. If someone says, all the verses in the Torah are true, besides for one, this one verse in the number to numbers in Leviticus and Genesis doesn't matter. One verse that's not true. He's got no portion of the world to come. That's it. It's, it takes a stance that, so, so yes, prefer, we'd all prefer to have this, you know, quasi like hybrid yeah it's inspired it's true whatever but not everything we would like that because that would kind of obviate us from any serious commitment and that's obviously the preferred response that we, we would that that's what we would all wish kind of was was true because that would give us kind of more flexibility but the talmud goes out on a limb and says like this it says if it's true or or the perspective that they have that the, and it's a traditional jewish perspective whereas everything's true Every single verse. And not only that, it adds, it adds more. It says in the, the oral Torah, everything is true. And even every Talmudic syllogism, every proof that's brought up, there's thousands of those, those are all true and those are, are from Moses. So, uh, so, so that doesn't seem to, uh, uh, to, to uh, open, the, open the door for, for this other uh, perspective. Now, what, what, but what it does do, and this is also important, if we're going to have a serious legitimate logical discussion about this uh, it should it also provides for the option of it being very easily refuted it's very easy to refute the Torah why is that all you have to do is refute one verse the second we know that one verse is not true if we could prove that theoretically well but but then the entire the entire narrative the entire means the options are either it's all true or if it's not all true, then it doesn't matter. Because the second one part of it's fabricated, well, then maybe everything's fabricated. You know, it's, and the second, once we see an, a hole in the argument of one side of the, of the issue, then the entire argument collapses. But conversely, the second we could prove, if we're able to, uh, in, a, in, a, in a fair and genuine way, if we could prove that one story is divine or supernatural or is clearly not written by man, if we have evidence, uh, or at least a reasonable argument, uh, that at least one verse or one statement, or one element, or one part of the Torah is divine, well, then once it's divine, you know, we 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 could assume that other parts are divine as well. It means we have no reason to not believe it once we could prove some part part of it. I mean, if we knew that ninety nine percent of the Torah is true, and we have evidence for ninety nine percent of the Torah, the Torah, and there's one verse in Genesis that, well, there's no evidence either way. Well. It should be enough. The ones we rely exactly. So, so the, the point is, we don't have to prove every single line in the Torah on its own merit as being true. But once we could prove the Torah in its totality, if we could somehow glean or gain confidence in belief that Moses is an authentic prophet, clearly, and then he delivers us the book, okay, well that's enough. You know, like if if uh, this is all true, yeah. Then six and a half billion people in the world are living. Not necessarily. That, that, that's, that's an important point because, but but that, first of all, that, Gentile. Yeah, we'll get to Gentile. Everybody, everybody, 
everybody but the 17 million Jews. That's what I mean. Well, okay, but this, uh, but that, I, th- I think that's a mistake. Let me tell you why. First of all, the idea of lots of people living a lie is a reality no matter what. And I'll prove to you. You know why? We have two religions, two major religions, Christianity, lumping all Christianity in one, and Islam. Each one of them are mutually exclusive. It's not possible for them both to be right. And both of them have the uh, my way or the highway attitude, right? If you don't believe in JC, right, eternal damnation, right? If you don't accept Muhammad Rasulallah, then Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Har, right? That, that, that's what they both claim. That's, you know, that's the fabric of, of the philosophy of those religions. So either way, we already have a billion people that are for sure wrong. For sure. Because they... But no, because they both can't be right. And they both, if one is right, the other one is wrong. So then at least a billion people are wrong. So the fact that there's billions of people wrong, that that in itself is not so surprising. What actually is, um, uh, you know, thankfully for mankind, if Judaism is true, that doesn't mean necessarily that six and a half billion people live in a lie. Why? Because according to Judaism, all the Gentiles need not observe the Torah. Is that right? Wasn't Judaism intended to be the smallest of people? We yes, so it's not, it's not a universal, world. exactly. Uh, as opposed to be an example. Uh, exactly. Not? As opposed to Christianity and Islam, where uh, they have a kind of a universal vision wherein the religion conquers all, uh, Judaism is not like that. We don't proselytize. It's proselytization is against... Uh, the Torah. Was there ever during the millennium? Yes, there were, there were sometimes uh, during the Hasmoneans, the late Hasmoneans, uh, where they forced, forcibly converted the, uh, the Samaritans. So that's thus uh, Herod, uh, Herod the Great was of dubious Jewish standing because he was a descendant of those Samaritans. Yes, so there were exceptions, but those people acted outside of the, uh, of the law. Yes. Yeah, so the fact that time where we were yeah, there was a time. There was there was that one time, a couple, I guess, a hundred years of of has been So uh, first and second. Sec- what about the verses that will make you as the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky? Yeah, yeah. There will be many. Oh well, that that's okay, but that's yes, yes, yes. That's that's told to Abraham uh, when Abraham is promised to be the father of this great nation. Uh, so it's told him that his kids will be as numerous as the sand of, you know, the sand and the stars. So uh, the simple understanding is that we will we will have uh, uh, in people there will be as many Jews as there are granules of sand. Now, if you know how many granules of sand there are, um, it, according to the estimation that I read, it's a number with seventeen digits. Clearly, that's not what the Torah intends. And you know what? They actually found that the number of stars in the known universe is a number that's like 16 times that number. So, um, so what does the so what does it mean? So, 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 so it could mean one one of several things. It can mean that just like a uh, uh, it can mean that just like the sand on the beach is enormous is such an enormous number, such a power that you cannot possibly count it. So too, the Jewish people have this quality of not being limited to numbers. You know, uh, the verse talks about, we read it a few weeks ago in the Parsha, that you're not allowed to count Jews. So if you have Jews in the room, you can't say one, two, three, four, five, six. Why? Because the second you assign a finite fixed number to Jews, you're limiting them. There's 10 Jews, not 12. 
You know, there's 150 Jews and not 200. It's a finite number. That's why when they used to do censuses, censuses they would each person would donate a shekel or a half shekel coin, and they would count the coins. They wouldn't count the people. So the idea, one of the ideas of sand and stars is that is that the innumerability of of the nation. Not necessarily that we will be around. In fact, as the Torah explicitly does say in Deuteronomy that we will forever be small in number. So the Torah explicitly says that we will not be the biggest uh, nation. Uh, so what it means will be as numerous, it means that we will have this quality of not being limited to a number. That's number one. Number two, uh, the quality of, of a Jew, more so than all humans, is that a Jew has this wide spectrum of accomplishment. God tells Abraham, your children will be the Jewish people. That will be the most remarkable nation on the planet. They'll be the nation that will spur the entire world to accept morality. We're the moral compass of, of, of the entire world. We're the guardians. We're the ambassadors of God in the world. That gives us enormous opportunity, enormous responsibility. But we also have the potential liability of not fulfilling our, our, our goal. Now, what's the most base uh, uh, or sedentary thing in the world? Earth, sand. It doesn't move, it just stands there. What's the most remarkable, illuminating element of our universe? The sun. We have this duality, or this option, this dichotomy of being of not fulfilling our potential and being like the sand, does nothing for for the world. It just it's just there. Doesn't move. Doesn't inspire. Or we could be like the like the sun and the stars. We could illuminate the entire world. So God tells Abraham, "You, your children are going to be my people." But remember, they could be like the sand of the sand. Not very impressive. Not exactly set in the world on fire. Or we can be like the stars. You know? And there's even a little deeper that, you know, the word, the word from... Well, that's the same sand of the beach, but earth. Earth, earth. earth is just sedentary. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. Uh, and, uh, additionally, another element uh, to, um, to explain that particular uh, verse in Genesis is that uh, the word, Hebrew word for man, Adam, uh, the Talmud says etymologically is half adama, which means earth, half adame, half which means I'll be similar, be similar to God. Man is a fusion of body and soul, thus uh, a fusion of physicality. You know, you drop a dead body into the earth, it eventually disintegrates and becomes like the earth itself. You know, God created man from the earth. On one hand, on the other hand, we have a soul which is com- compared to the Almighty. And if you guys remember, you guys should remember this. What happened to Moses? When Moses uh, accomplished or achieved uh, the greatest uh, spiritual status of any human, what happened to his face? I don't remember what happened to his face. And a little bit like like what? Like the like like the sun, right? So it says the face of Moses. Why the light the face of the thing you missed this class, Steve? The face of Moses. Remember, with the three things that are measured in the world to come, like the sun, right? Our soul is compared to the sun, right? And our body is compared to the earth. Uh, thus, uh, the Jewish people are this, the fullest manifestation of, 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 of humans in, in we're half sand and half stars. And we have the opportunity of becoming stars, you know, superstars, <laughs> uh, supernovas, rock stars. Rock stars. Uh, and, and we look at Moses, the greatest man that ever lived, and you know what? He had to wear a mask. We know that. We read that in the partial last week. Moses had to wear a mask because his face was as bright as the sun. Because he was able to divest himself of the influence of his body, and thus all that was left is the influence of his soul.
So yes, when it, when it says that the Jewish people will be as numerous as the sand and stars, it does not necessarily mean uh, that they will actually have the population. It can be one of those three things that we said. And especially, uh, it, we could safely argue that's the simplistic understanding when the Torah explicitly elsewhere says that the Jewish people will not be a large in number, will be very few in number. So, but uh, back to Bertie's question, the fact that uh, the fact that there are millions and billions of non-Jews out there, uh, so the fact that uh, you know, we have to assume that happy that so many people are wrong, well, either way, at least a whole bunch of people are wrong. You know, remember, the Christians and the Muslims are, are it's, not, it's not possible for them both to be right. So there's at least a billion people out there wrong. But thankfully for humanity, the Jewish people do not believe yet to be Jewish to be good. We have the pluralistic idea of if you follow the seven Noahide laws, if you're basically a decent person, you're considered a righteous of the Gentile, and you have a portion of the world to come, you're good to go. It's interesting when we, we talk in America, when we're talking about the Christians and, and Islam, we have this huge group of Hindus and Buddhists, and nobody even... Yeah, but they're not, they're not, they're not in the Western world, probably. That's probably, that's probably the argument, you know. The fact that there's, you know, a billion Hindus earning a dollar a week in India doesn't seem to... Well, there are more and more of these in the, in the, in the West of India. Yeah, okay, but... <laughs> Their numbers are still small by comparison to the others. Either way, so that's, so that's that. So we're going to try uh, to uh, embark on this journey of examining some of the evidence. I actually gave a five-part series on this topic because the uh, evidence is copious, is voluminous. There is a remarkable, remarkable amount of evidence. I spent some time also uh, talking about some of the quote-unquote counter evidence or counter proofs to the Torah or the questions, uh, kind of the classic Bible criticism questions or some of the moral questions or some of the ethical, philosophical questions. There are some questions that uh, need to be uh, engaged with thoughtfully and sensitively. Um, so I had so, so it's a lot. We're going to try to do this all in one class. We probably won't be successful. But we're going to have a challenge because, like I said, it's going to agitate every one of us here. We all have built-in biases, and I'm saying myself included. We're all, we all have a way of life, and we feel threatened when that is questioned. No one wants to reassess their life and their priorities and, and what they consider to be important and what they kind of, uh, you know, just probably by default – how they establish their relationship with with the Torah. You say most people like you know. Let's assume it's somewhere in the middle. You know, everyone everyone has lies. You know, whenever there's an argument, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So you have the fundamentalists saying the Torah is 100 percent true, and then you have the people say it's not true. Let's probably assume it's somewhere in the middle. You know, we uh, probably subconsciously or or even consciously we kind of establish that you know that uh, equilibrium for ourselves, uh, but. From, for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to start. We're going to try to start with a, a clean slate and see where the evidence uh, brings us. But it's not going to be easy, especially. This is an important point, especially because we have an incentive for the Torah to not be true. Because the second the Torah is true, it's binding for us we're, as Jews. Right? If the Torah were to be true, if we can magically prove that a thousand percent that it's true. We would all be in a quandary because, right, because, because that would mean a lot for us. Their implications are real. 
So we have an incentive to, to try to disprove it, uh, you know, and, and the whole world has an incentive because the fact, you know, if, if the Torah is true, well, the God, God is true, and therefore morality is true, and therefore uh, afterlife is true. All those things are uh, the after effects of the butterfly, butterfly effect of the Torah. And I have some examples here. This is uh, an article that I pulled from the New York Times. Uh, this is called Camels Had No Business in Genesis. Title. Mm-hmm. And this article to me, now the New York Times, one of the most prestigious. Uh, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, but it's a, I'm saying it's a, it's a prestigious journal, journalistic, uh, I guess, uh, uh, entity. or All the news that's fit. All the news is fit to print. So this is an art. This is an art. This is an article, a very short article. Never copy this. It's written by John Noble Wilford. Of, uh, I, I doubt he won, he won any uh, any publicity from, from yeah. reading this article. Either way, this is in the New York Times. Anyway, exactly. So uh, this is from this is a year ago, February February twenty fourteen, and they said the, uh, this article that will your eyeballs will pop out if you read this. Literally on the floor. Why? Because the argument is uh, this article. I think is is a, is a, is a is a yeah. I have to pick him up. <laughs> Scoop him. Uh, this article is an example of the vendetta that people have against the Torah, and even some like the New York Times somehow they slip by the publishers. But the article is basically that the, the, hey, look, the Torah. Lots of stories of camels. Abraham had camels and. Uh, uh, Jacob had camels, and, cam- and Joseph was brought with camels to Egypt. Lots of camels in Genesis. Camels had no business in Genesis. Camels weren't domesticated until much later. That's the argument. Um, the stories Genesis have about 3,800 years ago, so about 1,800 uh, before the common era, 1,817, depends where in Genesis you're talking about. And Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph have camels. And we know now it's not true, says the New York Times. How do we know it's not true? What's the argument? How do you know that it's anachronistic? Right? Anachronistic is where you have a historical document that in, that 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 references items that were not yet invented. So, like if you read a uh, you read a book about about uh, uh, I don't know about uh, uh, about Julius Caesar taking an Uber to uh, to Temple Beth Torah, right? <laughs> if you read that, you say, okay, wait a minute, when was Uber invented? Cars, right? Let's move back. Okay, Julius Caesar lived two thousand years ago, right? That's an anachronism. So they would they want to argue here that that uh, camels in Genesis are anachronistic. What's the evidence? What's the evidence? So the evidence is from an Israeli guy. Shockingly, an Israeli guy wants to contribute to this. Noam Mizrahi, an Israeli biblical scholar. What's the evidence? How do we know that Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph, thirty eight hundred years or eight hundred years before the Common Era, did not have camels? What are you saying? Because they weren't domesticated. Because they weren't domesticated. How do they weren't domesticated? That I don't know. So what they say is because like this. <coughs> That's one argument, okay? Two archaeologists in Tel Aviv University, they found, they found domesticated camels in the 10th century before the Common Era. Centuries after the patriarchs lived, and decades after the kingdom of David, according to the Bible, which is actually not true. But either way, they couldn't find any camels that were domesticated earlier. You hear this? That's what he cited. They, they found... Well, that's also... Well, let's assume that they're right, okay? Let's assume that they found domesticated camels uh, dated to the 10th century before the common era. But they 
Doesn't, doesn't prove mean, nothing. Yeah, doesn't prove that doesn't mean you, you're twelve, twelve or fifteen. Or I'm like, it's like it's like imagine I went to the library and I said, show me the, um, I want to see the archives of the New York Times. I found there was an article from May fifteenth, two nineteen fifty two. Clearly, there was no New York Times articles printed published before that, right? That's that's what passes for journalism with regards to uh, with regards to trying to disprove the Torah. This passes. If you could show me that that camels existed after Abraham, clearly Abraham didn't have it. That's that's what the argument is saying. I, I, you read the article yourself. I, I have the article here. So you guys can pass it around. Everyone can read it. That's what it says. Makes me feel my feeling about the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's clear is, is that I, I think like. Would this go for any? Like, would this pass for other? Maybe it would. Maybe they just have. Maybe they just have a bad day at the, at the journalism office there. Perhaps. All I know is that this was published in your Times as a refutation of the Torah. And if you read it very quickly, you didn't stop to say, "Wait a minute, what? What?" <laughs> if you didn't ask that question, like, oh, okay. Well, they, they, they were only a tenth century before the common era, not eighteenth century before the common era. Like that would perhaps be enough. What's clear is is that this is an example of someone trying to disprove the Torah or say that there are anachronisms in the Torah based on nothing, absolutely nothing. So, this is when you say that the absence, the, how does that go? The absence of proof absence is of not proof of absence. Is not the yeah. evidence of absence. Right. Okay. So let's so let's start. Um, let's start with miracles and revelations. We open up the Torah. We find a lot of miracles. Uh, we have Abraham doing miracles. We have uh, Jacob. Uh, we have Joseph having these miraculous dreams and the prophecies. Uh, Jacob having the dreams of the angels. Moses, the burning bush someone mentioned. Ten plagues. Miraculous plagues that you know, brought the entire Egyptian uh, empire to its knees. We have splitting of the sea. We have many, many, many examples of miracles in the Torah. And these miracles, go ahead. We're talking about a year. A year. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, All in one year. From Moses at the age of 79 to this Moses at the age of 80. Um, uh, And the the plagues were, uh, each one of them lasted a week. Uh, Moses uh, predicted them beforehand. Some of them he predicted before them, some of them he, he, he didn't. Uh, but all of them shared the commonality that they only that they only struck the Egyptians. So you have a Jew and the and the, and the Jew and the Egyptian drink from a glass of water. The Egyptian uh, drinks blood, and the Jew drinks water. You know, the frogs only go to the Egyptian houses. Uh, uh, the lice only plague the Egyptians, etc., etc. The dead, uh, dead uh, the animals of the Egyptians die, but not the Jews. Uh, the the wild beasts attack the Egyptians, but not the Jews. The uh, hail of um, ice and fire destroy the Egyptians' homes and properties and livestock, not the Jews, etc., etc. Death of the firstborn. Who dies? All the firstborn of the Egyptians. And this is all delineated in the Torah. Darkness. Everyone's frozen in place for seven days. Something like that. The verse says, but the Jewish people had light. So directed. Uh, uh, a calculated plague on the Egyptians, not on the Jews. 
So these are the miracles that are told in the Torah. We have the book, the book we stole the book today. We could all read it. It's copied into many, many languages, one of the best selling books of all time. The books of the Torah, uh, stories uh, of miracles, narratives of miracles. Okay. Well, uh, Abraham, for example, he battled with, with, with the. Um, Abraham battled with uh, that four four of the battle of the four armies versus the five armies single handedly uh, beat. Uh, he talked to God, prophecy. That's a miracle. Uh, I mean, the miracle was a miracle. I mean, supernatural something which is clearly uh, an event that uh, that uh, can only happen if God is running the show. So that's, that's, I, that's how I define a miracle uh, for this purposes. Uh, so he communicates with God. Uh, he. What are the what other miracles? Well, he he meets those three angels. They come to his house. Uh, the three messengers. Um, the word Hebrew word is uh, malachim. Yeah, well, that's the, the angel. The angel speaks to him. That's right. That's right. So the, 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 that and, and other examples. So the question that we have to ask, I think, if we're going to be logical skeptics, which is what we have to be. What are the questions that we have to ask when we read these stories? I think it's a few questions. Question number one, is it true or is it baloney? Did it happen? Did Abraham even exist? How do we know it? Abraham, remember, he appears 500 years before Moses appears. Thus, and the book is written by Moses. The book itself says it's written by Moses. So Moses is the author. See, Moses is the author, and he's writing about Abraham. It happened 500 years earlier. Who knows? It's a, lot, it's a long time. A lot could have transpired. How do, we, how do we know? Moses never met Abraham. Abraham died way before Moses was born. He's his great, 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 great grandfather. Right? So the question is, how did it happen? You know, did, it, did it happen at all? And the, every miracle that we say, you know, Elijah revives the dead, or Elisha revives a dead boy, or the Talmud tells us of miracles. Uh, Repinchas ben Yair, he split the sea. You know, Joshua split the sea. It's another great example. How do we know it's true? What evidence do we have? Maybe it's false. Maybe it was made up afterwards. I can write a book today talking about some other guy that I made up. I can Bernie, Bernie the prophet. I can make up a story. I can write it. Bernie, whatever, whatever he did, right? You know, he lifted the mountain and crushed it between his hands and then swallowed it. The mountain just fell in West Virginia. Uh, yeah, exactly. That was Bernie. Right? It, it, it's uh, the... The path should be very clear. Like it, this, this is a book that we don't know. We're around 2015. We're going back thousands of years, and we have to ask ourselves the question: Okay, maybe the book was making up stories, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's true. Well, what? How do we know? We have to find evidence one way or the other. How do we know that the historicity of the miracles of the Torah? That's the question of one. I think we should ask. Is that right, Evan Reese? Legitimate question. Yeah, sure. that's for sure a legitimate question. And you know what? For the sake of argument, we should ask the same question of any miracle we hear. Not if it's Jews. Not if it's Jews. If it's Joseph Smith in the mountains of New York, right? He claims to. There's the claim, the golden tablets, the reformed Egyptian, the Book of Mormon. It's a claim, and it's a miracle. He meets the angel. Okay, it's a miracle. How do we know it's true? And Mormonism is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. Yes, it is. Mormonism? Mormonism. Particularly in South America. And goes to two, it's pretty fast. you know, South America like a billion is to just huge. <laughs> well, why did you just? I'm just curious. Why Joseph Smith, Mormon, could, should, or should regular Christian, or exactly Jesus ascend to heaven. Exactly, that's another, that's another great example. Every religion has its miracles. Muhammad is a prophet, allegedly, right? All these are allegedly, and we can say the same thing. Allegedly, Abraham is a prophet, but for the sake of arguments. 
uh, uh, JC, uh, uh, Paul, right? Paul has a miracle. JC revives the dead or JC walks on water, whatever, whatever you want to say. How do you know it's true? Maybe it was made up. Okay, so we'll have to figure out how to employ that into, into, into our analysis of the evidence. Okay, that's the first question. Number two, how do we know if something is, maybe it would happen, let's say if I brought in, uh, I don't know, David Blaine or David Copperfield here, they could do a trick and they could convince us that the, the Statue of Liberty disappeared or they went walked through the Wall of China. Like maybe Moses or Abraham or, or JC or anyone was, you know, a very talented magician. You know, so somehow the miracle was accepted, but it was, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't real. It was, it was, it wasn't, it was, it's not real evidence to, to divine uh, interplay. Ty Penn's done some wonderful things. I can't, I don't think he's God, though. He, what, what does he do? He does Really? Yeah. Like, you show your cards and, like, oh, reach, your, reach in your pocket. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a great story. Um, there's a great story in the Talmud that tells of this uh, this one Jew who went to Alexandria, which was the hub of sorcery. And he says that he he went and he bought a donkey. He bought a donkey, and uh, he bought it for the Egyptian guy. The Egyptians were they did sorcery all the time. And he got home and it started raining on the way home. He's carrying, he's walking with his donkey, and it's, it started raining on the way home. And his donkey just melted and became a, a plank of wood. Somehow the guy managed to change, to, 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 to take a plank of wood and somehow do some sort of illusion, some sort of sorcery to make it look like a walking donkey. And then the guy, he went to his friends, like, what the heck just happened? He's like, of course you know. Every time you buy anything from the Egyptians, you have to douse it in water. For, of course, everyone knows that. He didn't douse it in water. He was like, why? Why should I? Because that's what they did. Their sorcery was a big deal. How they did it, who knows? But it... You know, assuming that that was possible, we have to ask ourselves the question: Was it real? Was it divine? Was it? Is this something real, or is this some sort of sleight of hand? Um, and a, one way to find that out is if you know, okay, how many times did it happen? You know, once if you were tricked once into buying the plank of wood, you would next time make sure you take the hose and spray real good. You know, you would you would investigate it. So the miracles did they happen once? Happened twice? Happened a thousand times? how broad was the reach of the miracles and that makes it very hard to falsify. So obviously, if you have a miracle that happens every day or if you have a miracle that happens uh, for years and years, then it seems to have more legitimacy than a miracle that happens once that, you know, oh, JC walked over water. Okay, well, maybe he was wearing those fancy shoes that have those flotation devices on them. But if every day someone's walking on water every single day, and you watch it from all angles, he'll, he'll do the magic twice. You know, we had, a, we had a magician come to one of the, not we, but there was an event that I was at, and the magician was there. And he did this fantastic trick. It made my, literally, I, I, he did it to me. He basically put an entire deck of cards in my hands. He's like, okay. And he, he did some sort of shtick. And he's like, okay, now open your hands. I'm like, what are you going to see? I'm like, I feel, I still have that deck of cards there. I open up, and there's a black, a block of glass in my hand. I'm like, what? How did he do that? But then I, he did it again. And I videotaped him. Then I saw what he did. He he diverts your attention. He does it like this, and then with his left with his left hand, he pulls up the black of ice and replaces it. How and does then, he get it in your hand? Is that your feeling? No, because he puts the top card as a card as a card. Then he pulls it out. Oh, that's your card. Oh, okay. Card covered the glass. I get it. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. He does two so tricks. 
he does two tricks at once. He's like, okay, here's your card. Okay, good. Okay, what do you have in the rest of your hand? You know? But then I, you know, once he did it twice, I'm like, okay, I got it. You know? If someone does the trick again and again and again and again, or someone does the miracle again and again, and it's experienced by a lot of people, of course, the broader the reach of the miracle, the less likely it is to be false. Uh, every magi- I usually do magic, too. The biggest, the most important rule is a good magician never does the same trick twice mm-hmm. with the same audience because it's more likely to be yeah. found out. Really? So, so that's, that's another example. If it was a trick, it's likely going to happen once. Only once. If it's a real miracle, it potentially can happen again and again. And lastly, this is also a very important question. What is proof? Let's assume JC did walk on water. Let's assume for everything he did, there was no flotation device, no pontoons, nothing. It was real. So what? What does that prove? So it was a miracle. It proves it was a miracle. Does it prove that he was God or anything like that? Not Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's say JC revived the dead and ascended to heaven. Does that prove anything? No. Why? Does it prove that he's a god? No. Why? How do we know? Way before JC ever arrived, we have Elijah ascending to heaven. We have Elijah reviving the dead. We have many, many stories of, of people splitting seas, of people. We have Rebbe Eliezer, one of, one of the, the Tanoim, the teacher of Rebbe Akiva. What did he do? He was able to uproot a tree from without touching it. Uproot a tree and move it uh, 400 feet away. He, he, he set something and the walls of the, of the basement was caved in. The walls of the house of study caved in. He set another thing and the river started flowing the opposite direction. Did anyone for a second claim that he was God? Absolutely not. Did anyone for a second claim that Moses said he was God? Also not. A miracle does not necessarily... Assuming a miracle is true, what does it prove is, is the last question we have to ask. Okay. Bless you. Yes. Okay. So let's. So, so that's that. That's what we have to ask. So what does the Torah say? So Torah records many prophecies, miracles, and also predictions. Maybe we'll get to that as well. So what's a list? Just give a list of some miracles here. So the templates of Egypt we mentioned. Each one of them directed, guided. Super. This is the story. Let's we'll see if it's true or not. Death of the firstborn. Parting of the sea. The entire sea suddenly parts and everyone's able to walk in dry land. Jewish people, that's what it says in the Torah. It's in, with great pomp and details. The sea splits. This is in Exodus. Sea splits. Jewish people walk through. The Egyptians follow suit and the water crashes down upon them. They're able to walk yeah, in yeah, dry land. Kinds of explanation. Real explanation. Yeah. Real. What do you mean real? Non-miraculous. Uh, uh, that's that's number one. Now, how do they explain this? During the forty years that the Jewish people were in the this is just for what the book itself says. During the forty years that the Jewish people were in uh, in the in the desert, in the wilderness, what did they eat? Who knows? Yeah, what is manna? Bread from heaven. What does it mean? Could be could be poetic. I mean, it, it details. Well, it tells us what it is. It tells us what it looked like. It tells what it tasted like. And it says that it fell down from heaven, everyone on their doorstep. For 40 years, a nation, what the Torah says, 603,500 adult males. We can extrapolate from that. We're talking about a nation of at least a million people. Assuming they did not collect manna on Saturday. That's right. They collected a double, double. portion on Friday. That's what it says. That's right. Uh, mentions this manna several times. They ate a magical food for how long? 
they ate it. That's what they ate. Uh, According to the Torah. Are you saying they didn't hunt? I just assumed they hunted. I didn't know that. And the quail. We'll get to that in a second. (laughs) This is what the Torah says. The Torah says that the entire nation of more than a million people, they subsided on food that rained down from heaven. What it tastes like, what it looked like. Oh, we'll get to the quail in a second. That's what they ate. That's what they ate. For 40 years. So if you do the math, if you do the math, if you do the math, math, how much food are we talking about? Let's do the math here for a second. Uh, We know that there's 600,000 adult males. We could safely assume that there's a a commensurate amount of of females, right? So we're talking about 600,000 plus 600,000, 1.2 million. If we assume that 600,000 males between the age of 20 and 60, so for, uh, for every, for every uh, 40 years of 600,000 males, uh, we assume for every 20 years would be half that. Is that right? So from 0 to 20, we would assume that 300,000 males and 300,000 females. And let's assume there's some elderly. But let's keep the elderly out of here. Eh, we're going to talk about old people. Right? <laughs> to the age of 60, we can safely argue that there's 1.8 million people. Thus, every day, there's 1.8 million meals delivered from the sky. Times, how many, how many days are there in a year, Deb? Let's do the math here. Oh, is that right? Okay. So let's say there's uh, 1.8 million times 365 times 40. So we're talking about hundreds upon hundreds upon billions of meals delivered from the sky. That's the claim. For 40 years. Billions of meals delivered from the sky. That's what the claim is. That's what the argument is. It's not a one-time event. This is not some sort of supernatural occurrence. And it's not something where you convince someone. You know, I keep trying to convince you that you're full. I convince you what you ate. <laughs> Meals parachuting in, you know. That's the claim. For someone to convince me, like if David, could David Blaine convince us that we had breakfast? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, can someone, can, there's, just please enlighten Yes, I go ahead. I think this would be very involved, but one of the whole laws of Kashrut, which came during Moses' time, yes. and before we got to the promised land, what were they, 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 it wasn't magical. Anthony yeah, well, it was. It, we were spo- they were talking about. Okay. Well, no, the, the, the manna wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't meat or dairy. No, no, I understand. But what, what, I mean, if we were getting these magical meals, well, why even have the laws of Kashmir? Well, the laws were, were because this was not going to last. Right. So this was just being taught about something in the future. Yeah, this entire period is a remarkable period because it's the Jewish people basically living on this supernatural but the point is, like, that's the claim. That's the miracle that's outlined in the Torah. We're talking about billions upon billions of meals delivered from the sky for 40 years to the nation of 2 million people. So what's the counterclaim? I, I have no idea what the counterclaim is. The counterclaim has to be that it was all made up. Has so where does the issue of the quail come in? Because well, and the quail, and the quail as well. So that's, that's one thing. They had quail uh, the quarter... Yes, they yeah, it, read the book it ascended. Walking the, uh, the Bible, they say they really... That really happens. That there's huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you need the quail if you have manna being delivered? 
It was the flesh pots Came out of, of Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. Okay, let, let's move on here. What, what? Who knows what they drink? What they drink? Oh, water, but, yeah. Where did the water come from? Underground from the rock. rock. And the rock moved around, right? It was a, this, is what it, this is the miracle that's claimed. <laughs> a rock? I don't know, maybe it was big or small. Rock. Let's assume it was a, I assume it was probably it's a mobile really, rock. A rock that traveled with him that was just gushing water. I would just drink. That's what everyone drank from. That's what the claim is. That's the miracle. They drank for it for how long? Millions of people for 40 years. You can assume we we'll also have billions upon billions but, of glasses. But then the rock at one point got stuck. Right. Moses when, talk, well, yes. So when Miriam, Moses' oldest sister, died, right. the rock seized operations because it was in her merit. God says, talk to the rock. He hit the rock, and that kind of caused a little disaster. That's at year 37. Yes, but I thought or the 35 reason he got in trouble for that was must. He, he took the responsibility. Yeah, that's, this is a big discussion. Rock, as if it was him that was providing the water to spring forth from the rock, and not God. Now, when they were traveling in the desert, the Torah says that for 40 years, there was a cloud, a... a uh, a uh, bunker buster cloud, a, a cloud that flattened mountains and destroyed predators that surrounded them from all four sides during the day. So they would walk on flat land. Uh, at night, there was a pillar of fire surrounding them. That's how, that's what it says. This is for 40 years. It's not a one time event. Additionally, what does the Torah, this is what the Torah says. Their clothing grew with them. You had a clothing, you're a little kid, you got a little onesie, you know, it becomes a little twosie, right? That's what the Torah says. Their clothing grew with them. And it's not a one-time event, it's not for one person. These are miracles that are encompassing an entire nation for, ten, for decades, upon decades. Uh, 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 these are the, clearly the most uh, unique and comprehensive set of miracles that ever happened. Question. Okay, so this is the question. So if these miracles are true, if these miracles are true, we clearly see divine intervention, we clearly see divine oversight, divine supervision, divine power, divine knowledge. That's clear. For sure. That, that's not, I don't think that that's, an, that's an argument. The question is, how do we know it's true? Maybe it's all made up. Well, that's you could the, ask the reverse of how do you know it's not true? Oh. Yeah, okay, but let's assume it is true. Assuming it's true or something we want to believe it's true. Okay, well, how do we know? Maybe it was made up. We just, all we have is the book, right? We're working backwards from the book. That's all we have. How do we know that it's true? You can't really, well, maybe we'll find out today. You yeah. can, but you can't really prove it didn't happen. You, you can't necessarily prove it did happen. Well, let's see what the evidence is. Okay. All right, none of us were there, right? So we're working backwards. So we have to say, did it either happen or didn't happen? Is that right? Those are the only two options. And the first written, the first evidence of this Torah being written was what, 500 BC? Or? Well, uh, what, extant copies of the Torah? Yeah. The oldest copies of the Torah that we have today, well, we know that the Torah was copied uh, in the third century uh, before the Common Era, was copied into Greek, the Septuagint, that's right, on the Ptolemy. So we know that it was in the hands of Gentiles for at least 2,200 years. Uh, we have Jewish traditions before that. Uh, but we know that it's an ancient document for sure. Uh, it's, not, it's not a new document. No one could argue that, no one could argue that it, was, it, was, it was invented 500 years ago. The no. Septuagint is the oldest known? No, no, I didn't say that. That's why. What I said is that Septuagint is the first time 
that it ended up in non-Jewish hands. Like, oh, okay. So it was, it was in our hands, and then they would argue away, or maybe it was tampered, whatever, the Jewish people, they kind of perpetuated this myth. That would probably be a, a, the argument that, that most people who want to reject the overwhelming evidence would pursue. Well, that well, the uh, the whole Masoretic era is in the eighth, uh, ninth, tenth century. I was going to say I thought that was before. No, that no, that's not the text. The, the, the era, the era yeah. where where they, they spent a lot of time there. But we have uh, extant copies from the from the uh, from the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, those are two thousand twenty one hundred twenty two hundred yeah. years old that we have today. You know, there's still you some can, that still I know we haven't found. Well, well, the, yeah, but the, so, all this means. We don't have uh, we don't have a document that goes back. I'm saying we we have traditions, we have documentations, we have stories, we have names of people, we have a lot, but uh, we don't have any kind of impartial observer that was there that we still meet. They're still around today that would tell us. So we have to work with what we have with this evidence we have. So the question like this: We have these wonderful miracles, and if they're true, we could accept the Torah as being true. We could accept God as being true, etc. But how do you know that this, this, these miracles are actually happened? So this is a few important points we have to link together. Number one, the book says Moses, who was obviously a prime uh, player in this whole narrative, he wrote the book and he gave the book to the, na- the nation. So the argument that the book was written either by Moses but delivered to a different people or by someone else entirely and who convinced the entire nation are both disproved by the book itself. Because the book itself says Moses wrote the book and gave it to the nation that experienced those miracles alongside him. So the book itself says that this book was given by Moses to the very people that were eating the manna and were eating the, 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 the quail and that had, had the experience of the clothes growing in them and had drank the water from the rock and had experienced all that. Those are the people that received the book. That's what it says in the book itself. Thus, if it happened in a way other than the way it described, the people that received the book, they would know automatically that it's not true because they just, all you got to do is read the book and say, wait a minute. The book says that Moses... The Moses gave it to us. Who's Moses? I see Ezra. Or I see Jeremiah. I see Ezekiel. I don't see Moses. Where's Moses? Right? And no one had a reference, no one had a record of this book beforehand. This guy wrote the book just now. He says, Ah, if how does the press look at my new book? My name is Ezra. Here. It's true. It's from God. Observe all the laws. You'll say, okay, oh, oh, maybe it is. Let's see. What? Moses wrote the book? Not Ezra? And Moses gave it to the people that experienced these miracles? Not to me, who's 800 years later. I mean, if it happened in a way other than the way it claims to have happened, it is falsifiable from day one. Because it itself claims that Moses delivered the book to the very same people. And in generality, when we look at uh, historicity of an event, if it's, it's historical, if it was documented by the people or uh, or uh, in the era of the people that it happened to. Thus, Christianity, so the, 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 the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written after Jesus' death for at least 60 years. 60, so 60 70, 90, different, different, right? It's not historical. It wasn't written by anyone that had ever met Jesus. 
right? So it is already, and, and it doesn't claim to be historical because it's very hard to claim that you're historical because it's falsifiable, right? Books that are false are not necessarily perpetuated to millions and revered by millions because it's, 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 it's disproven from day one. The Torah is the only one that has this, not only that it has the miracles that allegedly happened to millions of people, those same millions of people got the book. And that's what it says inside the book. So if it didn't happen the way it purported to have happened, would we still have a copy of it today? Would it still be revered by millions across the world? How would it get started? And let's imagine it wasn't true. Let's for argument's sake imagine it wasn't true. How would someone go about uh, uh, developing and selling this idea? Assuming it's Moses, right? Let's say I'm Moses. I wrote the book. It says I wrote the book. <laughs> but it says I delivered it to the people, to a nation of millions, millions of people, not, not 22 people or 12 disciples or anything like that. Millions of people. It says I gave the book to them. They were there. They saw. Where all the people those saw if they didn't see? Rabbi, I understand your point, but yeah. let me just focus on the Go ahead. contemporary nature you seem to be emphasizing here, that this was written by Moses and given at that time with what you tried to contrast, I think, with Christianity, which was 60 years, 70 years later. I'm saying it's not historical, it was written at the okay, same time. Okay, I understand. But yet, millions more yeah. revere and, and follow Christianity than That's Judaism. true, that's true. So, just because there was maybe a 70-year gap... No, no, okay, but, we, we, but right now, for our argument's sake, we're not debating the reach of the respective religions, we're debating the veracity of the respective religions and the veracity of the spectrum of miracles. Every religion is based upon a certain divine quality or divine claim. There's a divine claim in every religion. Judaism, also Christianity as well, Islam, Mormonism, every example that you want to, you want to bring. There's a prophet who claims to have uh, some sort of miracle or revelation and they uh, teach the, uh, the tenets, the beliefs of that nation. That's my point. How different is Judaism from every other one? Number one, the book is written at the same time that the miracles happened by the same people. No, no. Okay, we'll get the same happens in a second. But the Torah itself, Moses delivered it uh, to all the, to the entire nation. And did he deliver it orally? No, no, no. Written. He wrote it. He wrote it. Delivered orally as well. Uh, he delivered orally, orally as well. But we're talking about the, the, the physical book. The very same people that experienced the miracles received copies of the book, or so it claims. That's what it says. If it was falsified, this, this, my, my point is like this, we have to argue uh, both sides against each other. So it might, may be true, maybe it's false. What is more reasonable? Could we imagine a situation where it was false? Is it possible to, for us to concoct a situation where it's false? It would be very, very hard. You have to have someone, either Moses or someone else, but someone perpetuate a, a very clear, bold-faced lie. Why? If Moses was the one, and let's say if it's Ezra, like people, a lot of people claim, oh, Torah is written by Ezra. Right? Torah is written by Ezra. A lot of people make that claim, like uh, quote-unquote uh, Bible scholars. There's a fundamental problem with that. The Torah itself says it's written by Moses. The Torah itself says that there's millions of people that experience something. If those people didn't experience something, uh, and Ezra's trying to sell this, how does he sell it? How would you go about selling it? You can't do it because you're selling something, which is in itself, just by reading the book, untrue. 
unless say Moses did it, but it never happened. So you would say, hey, Moses, wait a minute. I read the book. It says there's 600,000 people that experienced the Mount Sinai experience. And they were in Egypt and that saw the plagues and ate those billions of meals delivered from God. And who are those people? Where are those people? How come you, no one remembers of these people? How come you no one who tells us about the people? And also, it says in the book that you, Moses, delivered it to those people. I don't remember that happening to me. Does, did it happen to you? Do you remember being 40 years in the wilderness uh, and uh, drinking water and rock? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember that. I've been living in, uh, in Kingwood. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about no desert, no wilderness. Moses, I don't believe you're telling the truth. And you know what? I'm not going to live my life based upon these very restrictive laws that you have for me because I know you're a snake oil salesman. You're a charlatan. Right? Who would follow the very detailed minutiae of laws that are very restrictive. What I can eat, what I can do on Shabbat, what do I have to, the mitzvahs I have to do, the charity I have to do, the, uh, the, uh, all the restrictions. It's always full of restrictions. I want to have my cheeseburger. Why should I listen to Moses? People are very suggestive. Very gullible. <laughs> okay, so, so this is where we have arrived. The only way, the only way for the Torah to not be true only way for the Torah to not be true is if Moses convinced a nation of millions of Jews, of our antecedents. Remember, you can't convince the Jews themselves are a stiff are a stiff net people. Right? And we still see it today. It has it has transferred genetically very, very well. Uh, this quality. Right? So the only way for us, the only argument that we could try to finagle to try to say the Torah is not true is that Moses somehow was able to enchant the people to such a degree, the specific people that didn't listen to him at all. And Moses, by the way, if I was Moses and I was writing the Torah, I would not write as many uh, 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 derisive things about myself as an aside. Uh, Moses is is vilified. This, these are all these are all like kind of the ancillary proofs, the kind of the psychological perspective. If Moses himself was writing it, he would certainly do a better job in raising his profile. There's no one in the Torah who's castigated as much as often uh, uh, or as harshly as Moses. Well, and I've also heard the argument the that. Well, no, but but we're, we're moving away. From, to all the they were mostly were they not? Were they literate? Uh, yeah. was, there a la- was there a written language then? Or did it just erupt? Well, what, what is, the Hebrew what the word question? to read is also they, the same word. They gave yes. The Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Yes, the Jews were always literate. So you, okay, so uh, what, what, what's, what's the argument? I'm sorry? Literate is slaves. Absolutely. The Jewish people, whenever, whenever they were... Uh, in the harshest of times, the Jewish people always were always so literate. So Pharaoh Even, sent them to school. Not Pharaoh. Their parents taught them. Parents taught them. Every yeah. It, at times, at times, this is an important point. At times, where the general population was ninety nine point nine percent illiterate, the Jews always had a hundred percent literacy. Always throughout the generations. Why would you think that was different at, uh, at that time? The grandchildren of Abraham weren't literate. Come on. You have to remember though. The people in the desert weren't just Jews, they were a mixed multitude. That's right. Many Jews stayed in Egypt. Yeah. I mean, many Egyptians, and those ones who caused, caused the majority of the problems. I want to say they were 80% left. Died. 80% died. Oh, 80% died? I don't know. You mean in the desert? No, in, no, no, in Egypt. 
Yeah, that's a good argument. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, let's let's move another step ahead here. Um, Abraham, Abraham and his miracles, Jacob and his miracles. Those are not historical either. Those are not what? Not historical either. Moses lived after them, right? Moses lived after them. Thus, Moses writes the Torah. It's not historical. Why do we believe the miracles about Abraham? It's a good question, right? Is that any different than the miracles about uh, JC or miracles about anyone? Right? It's not verified. It's one person, right? We see the miracles about Moses in, in those entire 40 years. That was experienced by, by millions and verified by, uh, by, by millions, those hundred, the hundred, the hundreds of billions of meals that were delivered. All of like that we hear. But the Torah gives other miracles. What about that? The answer is absolutely you're right. If all we had were the miracles about Abraham, we would be no different than everyone else. That does not distinguish us from other else. That does not distinguish our faith profile in the uh, in the context of the Torah from all the other religions. It doesn't. However, this is a cool, important point. Moses is called the father of all prophets. Ever heard that term? Father of all prophets. Doesn't mean father of all prophets. Was uh, Abraham happened to be his great 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 grandfather? How is he the father of all prophets, even those that came before him? The answer is that Moses is a verified prophet. Moses, we all know, because we were all there. When I say we, I mean the collective millions of Jews that were there. They experienced at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses being uh, called up uh, as a prophet, disappearing onto the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Ten Commandments there, this incredible, uh, miraculous experience that happened to millions of people. We know that Moses is a prophet. We have no doubt about it. We have evidence to that, to that effect. Thus, when Moses tells us a story, it gives us the, the book, it says, oh, Abraham was a prophet. Why do we believe that Abraham's a prophet? Because Abraham's a prophet, we know that in his own right? Absolutely not. Rather, because Moses told us that Abraham is a prophet. Thus, we only believe in Abra- that Abraham is a prophet, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, because of Moses. And even the ones that come after him, Moses lays down the requirements of what constitutes prophecy, who could be a prophet, etc. The laws of prophecy, or the criteria of prophecy, was given us by Moses. Thus, we believe to future prophets, Joshua, uh, Ezekiel, Samuel, etc., only because of Moses as well. But Moses was personally verified by all of us. Now, okay, so locked out. So the book is historical. The book is contemporary to the time. Uh, if the book was uh, recording the personal miracles of Moses, well, maybe Moses is lying. But in fact, the book is recording the miracles of everyone. Number one. Number two, if Moses gave the book to other people, well, Moses is lying, right? Because it says Moses gave it to us. Moses gave the book detailing and delineating the miracles that happened to the very people that received the book. Now you'll say like this. This is the next point. Okay, what's the significance of the book? Maybe the people that accepted it, they accepted it 
only because the book didn't have that ra- that much of a ramification in their lives. Maybe they said, oh, you know what, we'll accept it. Moses is a really cool guy, but the story is nonsense. I think that if you were living that life, and you had manna coming down, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I can only go so down the, this road with you so far. I'm not so sure you would have all that much convincing to do because you're experiencing... Of course, but remember, if the man... But if the man... What, that's my point. If the manna did come down, of course. If the manna. If, if you're the manna came... whether it did or it didn't. If you're there and you're experiencing it, this book is probably not that significant. Already you're there. You're, you're, you're experiencing it. How far of a It's not at all, for sure. That, that's, my, that's my point. If the man, had, my, my point is, let's let, let let's play devil's advocate. Let's assume that the man, the man had, didn't happen. <laughs> let's assume it's not true, right? So you want to argue, you know what? Why was it accepted? Because they didn't make a big deal about it. it means my argument is like this: if the man is true, uh, then we're fine. We're in the promised land. Assuming it's not true, let's assume it didn't happen. But Moses is a really cool guy, you know. He donates a lot to the synagogue. Let's accept his word, even though it's nonsense. Would they do that if it was a book of fairy tales? Maybe. A percentage Maybe. would. Perhaps a percentage would. But this is not a book of detail. Uh, of fairy tales. This is a book of law. Law that's binding for every single Jew. Law that's very, law is very restrictive. Law that unless you were convinced it was divine, you would never in your right mind follow it. Never. Who would follow all these laws? Who would say, we get to the example of the laws. Who would say, you know what? It's an agricultural society. Uh, you eat what you grow. You eat what you grow. If you don't have food to eat, you die. There's no Salvation Army or Houston Food Bank. But this book tells me, you know what? Every seventh year, you take a year off. No, no, no agriculture. Don't plant a field. Don't plow the field. Don't worry. God will provide. Unless you are absolutely convinced that this was the word of God, you would never in your right mind follow it. If the Jewish people treated the book of the Torah, or they accepted the book of the Torah, clearly they believed it, because otherwise they would never follow the laws, that many of them are very distant from, uh, from, from, be, from accepting it on, on just simple human intellectual terms. Unless you were convinced that it was divine, you would never say, you know what, I'm taking a year off. Sabbatical. Ah, whoa, what am I going to feed my kids? They're going to be hungry. Don't worry, God. (laughs) Unless you were convinced that it was divine, go ahead. And the trees, too. Trees, and that's an example. You know, you take take a day off, day day off of work or Shabbos. You don't plow your field. You don't plant your field. Nothing. You don't milk your cows. You don't do anything. A day off, an entire day off, right? Would you do that? Sure. I heard too that in the wasn't quite. Uh, I heard from another that was quite common for people to marry their aunt and things like that. And the war comes out, you can't do that anymore. And that means that those people had to divorce their wives. Divorce their wives. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the it, Torah. The Midrash, the Rashi quotes that that people were pretty upset because they all divorced their wives. But I mean, you know. I'm not just negating what you just said, but it goes on to the fact that in the history of Christianity, people let themselves be put in the arena and killed by the lions and all those terrible things they did on the basis of their faith, too. 
that's 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 true. That's true. That's true. So they clearly. So my my point. I, I agree with that point. People will only do these things if they're convinced that it's true. That's my point. I agree that's true, and I agree that there are a lot of Christians that can, are convinced that it's true. A lot of Muslims are convinced that it's true. My point is like this. The Jewish people had the most information at their disposal. I can convince you guys that something's true, but then I, I say, well, hey, listen, it happened to me in a dream. You'll never know if it's true or not. Right? I can say, listen, you know, it's true, and I can convince you. You can be believing it and blow yourself up on a, on a, on a bus because that's what the, uh, Muhammad wants of you, right? A lot of people could be convinced that's true. The Jewish people had the most information at their disposal to verify whether that was true or not. If you did not, you know, experience the miracles in Egypt, be at the foot of Mount Sinai, eat manna in, in the desert for 40 years, right? Uh, drink water out of a rock. If you didn't have that happen to you, fire by day or fire by You would know it's not true. I, I think that there's a legal term. Yes, more, go ahead. Uh, but... Uh, uh, there is a legal term called the preponderance of evidence, and I think that's kind of the analogous to what you're saying. Yeah, you could believe based on, say, less evidence, so it's to speak, um, that, that Jesus did this, and so therefore I'm going to follow it. But there's more because of the contemporary nature of it and, and just that people were yeah. it. Would, is, is it a one-time event? Say these other things. That's right. It's, it's, it's not a one-time event. Remember. Jesus walked the water, he did, he didn't, I don't know. He did it once, allegedly, right? Written years and years and years, he recorded years and years, but we don't know, we don't know historical evidence that the guy ever existed. None. There isn't a single contemporary book that was written uh, uh, during his lifetime about this wonderful, great, influential individual. So, right? so, there isn't. Yeah. You go ahead. So, so I certainly understand this Moses thing, but back up a second with Abraham, which, yes. which again, Moses much later, there weren't any evidence. So, right. so Based just like the JC, we can't really believe the Abraham. Absolutely. Absolutely. But like I said, Moses, the only reason why you believe in Abraham is because of Moses. Yeah. Moses is called a, a verified prophet. If Moses had a Twitter account, it would have a little blue check next to it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because Moses was verified. Moses, we believe it was because we knew, we saw. Thus, when Moses tells us that Abraham was a prophet, we don't believe because Abraham told us or someone else told us. We believe because Moses told us. Well, it's like believing the Gospels about J.C. then. They told us, and even though they weren't there. Yeah, but they're not verified. You mean verified? Because it says in the Torah that the, the Jewish people sit in Mount Sinai and heard the first few commandments. Is that right? Well, so like you said, there's, a, there's, there's, there's two, what we just started was the, was the easy one. We did the easy, then we'll do the more difficult or more pervasive or more exhaustive or more influential and powerful one. We, we just did the simple proof. But the simple proof is, is that they experienced these miracles, all of them individually. Uh, you know, that's how you ate, you know. You, you, that, what was that, what, what's on the menu for today? Manna. <laughs> and tomorrow, manna. Uh, but uh, wait a minute, I don't see any manna. <laughs> Let's go to the store. The shelves are empty. There's no manna. It's going to descend from heaven. So you did today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the following Sunday, uh, next month, the month after, next year. That's what we're eating for 40 years. Okay, where are we going to drink? Can we, uh, I invite the Culligan man in here, right? At the Ozark? No, let's go to the rock. That's how they live their lives. They live their lives in the miraculous, in the miraculous fashion. Go ahead. Then why were they hungering for the flesh pots? So that's a good question. Man. The, 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 the Torah castigates them for that. The Torah says is that they, they you know why? And, and uh, the deeper level here is that the, the, the manna was a spiritual food. 
It was like it was like you know it was it's it didn't it it wasn't like uh, it wasn't a sizzling. They wanted a sizzling steak. They wanted something that they, that their mouth could water, just like you know slather them their face on. That's what they wanted. I get it. Uh, and and they were called out for it. You know the manna is this is this incredible thin uh, crystal like food that was you had to like concentrate in it. You know it was like demanding was spiritual food. But it was food. You know, that's what they ate. That was their bread. Uh, a nation, millions of people. That's, that, that, that's remarkable. Let's get to the national revelation thing. And this, and this, is, this is kind of the, uh, I would say, the much um, higher level kind of evidence. A little bit more esoteric. But this is also uh, an example that is unique to Judaism and uh, something that if we want to uh, contrast Judaism with any religion or just get a historical context for our religion, it should be something which is very eye-opening. So, every religion has like a, the same model, I would say, that there's a prophet uh, or there's a conveyance of prophecy uh, and a conveyance of tenets of belief. Uh, and it's going to be a re- in a form that, that's a revelation, a form of revelation. So God comes over to the, to the prophet and says, "Oh, here's the Book of Mormon," or "Oh, here's the Quran," or "Oh, here's uh, uh, the New Testament," etc., etc. And the same thing that happened to the Jewish people uh, at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the revelation. Now, what is the one major, crucial, pivotal, fundamental, essential difference between the revelation the Jewish people had and the revelation that the entire uh, that the rest of the nations had? Difference is that the revelation that happened at Mount Sinai was the entire nation. 600,500 adult males, tremendous amount of females, at least 1.8 million people, probably more if you count people over the age of 60. We're talking about millions of people, all of them, there at the foot of Mount Sinai, hearing, experiencing prophecy, hearing God, Seeing these magnificent uh, uh, um, just wonders, experiencing prophecy. This is the only time that there has ever been a claim of national prophecy. I'll repeat that point. Mm-hmm. Only one time, only one nation, only one people, only one event has there been even the claim of national prophecy. We're, we're working post facto. Right? We're here, 2015, the humble Texas. Right? What we can deduce is that every single claim of prophecy in all of human history has not been on a national public scale. San one. There's been one experience in all of human history where there's even been a claim of national prophecy. Every other religion does not begin in that same fashion. That alone should open up our eyes. Why would it be different? Assuming it's false is an important point. Let's assume it was false. Let's assume other religions are false. Let's assume the majority of them, eh, charlatans, most of them, right? Why could we, how could the Jews pull off this great heist and no one else could do it? Assuming you have two religions, both of them made up their whole story. It's all made up. They made up, they made up a third nation. They all made it up, Right? Religion doesn't exist, or it does exist. And maybe, I don't know, the Hindus, the Buddhists, or whatever. Someone else, someone's right. Uh, but everyone else is just a bunch of uh, charlatans. 
How come only one nation can figure out how to do that? How come only the Jews were ingenious enough to try to even concoct the story of a national prophecy? Sly little devils. No, the answer is that this is what happened. That, <laughs> that's, it happened because it's impossible to falsify. I cannot convince you, no matter what, that you experience prophecy. It's not possible for me to do it. Prophecy is an experience that, unless you had it, you would never claim to have had it. Well, you might claim if you're in cahoots, but you won't have a nation claiming, millions of people claiming to, to have it and to follow the laws as a result of that. It's not possible. So whether or not Paul spoke to Jesus on the way to Damascus, or Jesus walked on water, or revived the dead, or Muhammad was a prophet, or we will never know. Okay? Joseph Smith is one guy claiming that he met, he met the angel, and he gave him the golden tablets that we've never seen written, reformed Egyptian, a language we've never heard of. And he translated into English uh, the Book of Mormon. Right? That's the claim. If he's telling you the truth, fantastic. 1820. Yeah. How did he, was he able to convince all these that's, I don't know how he did it. Um, They're still going door to door doing it. Yeah. I read the book, there's, there's a book about um, something about town. It's an antique. Whether. Of course, but the point is, is that the miracle, the revelation, the prophecy was one man, the claim, the claim of prophecy is one man. Claim of Muhammad, one man. No one experienced prophecy a long time. That's not even what they claim. The only claim of national prophecy is the Jewish people. And I wanted you guys something uh, astonishing. This is from the book of Deuteronomy. I want you guys to check this in the King James Bible. I'm not putting tricks on you guys. I have a King James. King James or Eitz Chaim or any other Bible. I'm not making up the story. No, no, but I mean, they're pretty, pretty much the but same the, when you but, read the but, King James version. But the King James mistranslates. Of course they do. Not much. Most no. of it looks the same. Okay. No, uh, they certainly mistranslate. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Inquire. God's giving us an instruction. Go ask. Inquire now regarding the early days that preceded you. Do some research. Go to the library. Go to the internet. Google it. From the day when God created man on earth, and from one end of the heaven to the other end of the heaven. Ask everywhere. Ask everyone you know. Since the beginning of time, since the earliest parts of human history. Ask. What should you ask? Has there ever, has there ever been anything like this? Like this great thing? Or has anything like it been heard? Has this ever happened? Has this ever been claimed to have happened? Has a people ever heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of a fire as you have heard and survived? Has there ever been a nation that has even claimed to have national prophecy? The Torah predicts that it'll never happen. Ask everywhere. Ask everyone you know. Right? Ask everyone that you encounter. Investigate every religion. Has there ever been even a claim that an entire nation heard prophecy, and survived. The Torah is going on a limb here. Listen to this, guys. The Torah is putting, exposing itself. And it's saying, we have the story of natural revelation. And we're so confident that this will only happen once that we're opening up our doors for being falsified. And we're making a prediction that it will never be claimed again. Ask from one of the other ones, from since God created man on the earth, has it ever happened? It's never happened. Only happened to the Jewish people. 
was never claimed to have happened. The Torah is saying, if some nation claims that this happened, God spoke to the entire nation and they survived. Torah tr- not true. We take it, we put it away, and we go, uh, I don't know, get, you know, get Mohawks. I don't know what we do. But we know the Torah is not true. The Torah is saying, if you find a claim of national revelation anywhere, aside from our claim of national revelation, this entire book is invalidated. This is uh, chapter 4 uh, of Deuteronomy, verses 32 and 33. I don't want to <clears throat> split hairs well, well, here. Well, well let, me, let, me, let me finish the point oh, here. Let me finish the point, okay? Like this. Let's assume, for argument's sake, the Torah was written by man. It's all made up. Let's assume, for argument's sake, somehow... Some clever individual or group of individuals was able to convince or make this claim of national revelation. Think about this. Let's assume we are the convention that we're going to invent the religion and invent the whole story. We have to be a very intelligent either person or a group of people, clearly. Torah, everyone would agree, is written by the, one of the great authors and systemizers and moralists and... No one would say the Torah the Torah is written by a silly man. Some guy was just doodling. A bunch of monkeys were typing on typewriters. No one would argue that. Clearly, if the Torah is written by someone intelligent, it's written by someone intelligent, whether it's God or man. That's for sure. No one's going to argue that. To be the best-selling author of all time and to, uh, and to uh, uh, impersonate God for that long and that convincingly is something that, not, that someone... It, someone uh, if it was written by a man of, of a great intelligence or a convention of people. Let's say we were able to convince the people that there was natural revelation. So it's not, it didn't happen. We were able to convince them. Would we go out and say, and expose ourselves and say, if this ever happens again, we're disproven. We open the door for our ouster, so to speak. It could be ousted as a hoax when we ourselves know we ourselves know that it could be made up because we made it up ourselves. Think about this, guys. If we made it up ourselves, if we made it up ourselves, we know it can be made up. How then would we write in Deuteronomy that no one will ever claim that this will happen? No one will be able to make it up. Wait a minute. If you made it up, someone else will make it up as well. Yeah, I don't see that it says will ever happen. What does it say? What do you have there? Whenever a people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire, as thou hast heard in the Well, the, the, read the, the verse prior to that. 32. <clears throat> or ask now <clears throat> of the days past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and from the one end of the heaven unto the other, whether thou hath been, there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been. Asked like from one end of the world to the other world since the beginning of time, has this ever happened? That's the question. Has it ever happened? We're asking. That's talking about the past, isn't it? It's telling us. Asked. We would it says. Asked. Has it ever happened? 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 Ask the question. But more, one wasn't one of your points that it will, in the future, it will never happen. Well, I'm saying whenever you read this, the point is that whenever you read this, at whatever point in time in all of human history, whenever you have the copy of the book, you can ask, has it ever happened? And all of you guys besides for that. Now we're, now we're 3,300 years ago, and we have to ask the question. And in 100 years, we'll ask the last question again. Every time you read the book, it says, ask, it will never happen. Has it ever happened? 
That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's the point. So the point is like this. If it didn't happen, if it's not true, it was made up. If it was made up, it could be replicated. If it could be replicated, it would have been replicated. Arguably. Exactly. And if the human author invented this situation and made people believe it, they themselves know that it could be falsified. They would never include that in the book as a prediction. The fact that it only happened once, it's true. We, haven't, we don't have no record of any, any such natural relations. It's never happened. That a nation has experienced prophecy and survived. It's never happened. It's never been claimed to have happened. Only us. And, it's, and the Torah is going out on a limb saying, you know what? Verses uh, 32 and 33. Go ask, has it ever happened? If it did happen, close the book. We can move on. <laughs> right, but you're saying that it, it, he wasn't just talking to the people there. At no, the no, 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 no. As to all the people. Yes, yes. We're, we're reading the Torah. Allah, go, God's telling us. Go well, ask. True. There's another verse earlier, correct me if I'm wrong, where it says, I'm speaking to y'all, not just here To today, you, but, but to your generations. To your generations, generations right. Okay. That's beginning of, the beginning, of, beginning, of, beginning of Deuteronomy. Now, is, uh, is there historical evidence <laughs> in Egypt about... So, so you're so you're jumping way to the end of the discussion. I have a whole, I have a whole part of it. No, let's let's let's, let's, let's do it. So, you want to know? Uh, you want to you want to know if there's any um, uh, let's so let's see here. Uh, you want to know if there's any Egyptian records of uh, like what kind of records you want? Hieroglyphics? What do you want? You want uh, cuneiform records of what? Slavery? No. Okay, it's like this. Oh, the plague. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, this is this is a, a common question. Okay, where's where's all the archaeology? Right. Uh, I have this in the fifth class. This is all the first class where we come. Fifth class of this of this uh, of this of this discussion. That's okay. Uh, because you asked it, Bernie. Because I love you a lot, and because you were the one who prompted us to have this discussion, we'll address it. You want to know where is all the evidence? Where is the physical evidence? <laughs> Skip it all. Let's go to the end. Let's see. <laughs> it's like we need Hillary's server. You know, you know, uh, yeah. So, uh, so your question. So like this. Uh, do we know, uh, Bernie, the first modern historian who wrote this 2,500 years ago, the idea that we have today of preserving history impartially, uh, right, without being biased, without giving your, uh, that's a relatively new idea. It didn't exist before Herodotus. So just the idea of, 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 of a nation broadcasting their own demise is unheard of. We have examples. Like we have um, Sancheirov in the, in the British Museum in London. They have uh, Sancheirov, who was the Assyrian, uh, the king of Assyria. And he was the one who destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel about 25, 2600 years ago. We have some uh, extant... Uh, uh, pottery shards or something like that. Ah, uh, and I vanquished the entire people. And then we have him claiming that he, I have surrounded Jerusalem and I'm about to attack. Right? We have no record of his ultimate demise, you know, because people didn't go out of the way to broadcast their own their own misfortune. History was written by the victor, right? Uh, and now, um, 
is a great, uh, you know, and also archaeology, remember, uh, lack of evidence is not evidence of lack. Uh, and we do have some good stuff. Um, but the idea of, of, his, uh, of, of, of physical remains uh, is always, it's, it's, it's always up to interpretation. So you have some people like the Bible maximalists who uh, take uh, all the, all the, hist- the archaeology of the Bible uh, as, as being more proof versus the minimalists who say it's less proof. The, 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 this is not a subject that we could, there's a, there's a huge debate on, the, on, the, on this issue. Uh, but to think that the Egyptians would keep, uh, would keep records and highlight the fact that the small nation that they had subjugated uh, had embarrassed them in such a degree uh, is is unheard of. We have no we have no record in ancient in any any ancient civilizations where they're uh, humbled to a degree where they write that in official in official um, documentation. Yes. So uh, don't expect to find any uh, some any prominent uh, attention to Moses' humiliation of Pharaoh, uh, even if it did happen. That being said, uh, we have found something. We have found some things. For example, uh, the um, the Ipawar papyrus. Now, I'm not an expert in archaeology, but we did find something the papyrus called the Ipawar I P U W E R, which is historical to that time. Uh, and it does say there's blood everywhere, famous line. So there are those who want to interpret that that's a reference to blood, uh, the, the plague of blood. And it is uh, uh, historic to that time. Whether or not it's a reference to that or not, it's a huge debate, Google Ipawar papyrus, uh, as, to, as to that. We have the Brooklyn papyrus. By the way, these papyruses are called after where they're... It's not like uh, there was a city in, uh, in Egypt called Brooklyn. Just there was, It's housed in the Museum of Brooklyn. It's called the Brooklyn papyrus, which talks about the names, so... Uh, the names of Yisachar, uh, Asher, Shifra, these are names that are found uh, on lists in, in these papyruses that are historic to that time. Point being is that we have some corroborating uh, archaeological evidence. There is no anachronisms. We have no counter evidence. Uh, we don't have a lot. There, there isn't a lot. Um, we have, for example, um, the the uh, uh, sale of Joseph to the Midianites uh, for ma- the amount that, that are costed uh, was accurate to that time. So yes, uh, there are some kind of uh, corroborating or maybe uh, circumstantial evidence uh, pointing to the accuracy or uh, you know from the uh, from the uh, from the archaeology, there isn't a lot. Uh, it on itself, I, would I say it's enough to prove the entire Torah? I wouldn't rely on that. Uh, is there an, is there anything counter evidence? There's not a single piece of counter, counter evidence. There's no anachronisms. Uh, like we said, and the guy the guy found that you know if the Torah was a thousand years later, the the prices of things would be very different. You know how much does a haircut cost for men, not for women? What do you pay Steve for a haircut? 17, 17 bucks. I know you got a nice no. little mass of hair there. What do you What do you well, pay? I pay? I I go to a place in Westbury for sixteen. I've been going to the same place for fifteen. So there you go. Sixteen dollars twelve. Bernie, admittedly, you have a simpler haircut <laughs> <laughs> than Steve well, it does. Up. It was thirteen up until about. Oh, wait, uh, mine just went up to thirteen. Mine, oh, there no, you go. Okay, so that's what we pay. If I told, if I wrote a book about nine in New Jersey, if I wrote a, if I wrote a book. <laughs> 
if I wrote a book, uh, a historical book, um, in 2015 that I got a haircut for 25 cents. You, that's right. So within 50 years, the price of a haircut goes from 25 cents to $10, $15, $20, something like that. So it's in such a short amount of time, the price has changed so dramatically, the inflation then. The fact that Joseph was sold for 20 silver pieces, Torah tells us how much he was sold for. And the fact that we have found uh, documents detailing prices of slaves to that time, that 20 silver pieces was right in line with the prices, that's remarkable. You know, uh, the, the, you know in, in 50 years, prices of items could change by hundreds and hundreds and thousands of percentage points. So yes, go ahead. Inflation because of the paper money. Probably Still, the, okay, but the price but, of a slave but, wouldn't change for hundreds of years. Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you're short from the year. Tw- yeah. We need John Ruskin for four, fourteen hundred years before the yeah, Common Era. Yeah, the price is going to change. Maybe I don't know. Maybe either way, we have no anachronisms. We have we have, we have nothing. The name Ramses. Torah talks about Ramses. We know now that Ramses was the emperor at that time. We know that. So, could Ezra have known that? Maybe, I don't know, did he have access to, if, did someone else write it and they had access? Maybe, they just guessed right everywhere they did. Who knows? My point is, it's not enough evidence to support it, or, or it's not enough evidence to prove the Torah. There's certainly nothing that, that, that counterproves the Torah. Uh, there is some nice uh, corroborating or, or um, you know, just circumstantial evidence that, you know, that does uh, work really nicely. Either way, I, I, you know, we look at this verse, and I, I think you have to ask yourself the question. If it was made up, if it was made up by men, and they invented the whole national revelation story, first of all, that in itself is a dramatic feat. How do you convince people that they experience prophecy? Especially those same people that it's all recorded, the book is recorded twice, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's repeated because it's very important. And God tells you, listen, you, it's, you saw it. It's very clear. We, 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 we all watch the movie instead of reading the book. Uh, in the movie, uh, Moses gets the Ten, ten Commandments and the, and, and, and the people are, are worshiping the golden calf. In the book, read the book. The entire nation sees, the entire nation hears. Read uh, Exodus chapter 20, where it talks about it the first time. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and uh, chapter 10, wherever it talks about it there in Deuteronomy. Read chapter 4. Uh, it makes it abundantly clear, repeats it again and again. Don't think that it was just Moses. It was the entire nation experienced prophecy. How could you convince someone that they accepted, that, that they experienced that? Uh, if they didn't, we would never know. But what we do know is that the Torah goes out on a limb that says that it will never be claimed to have happened again. Thus, if it was made up, it had to be made up in such a way, uh, if it was made up, no one in their right frame of mind would think that it could not be replicated. Go ahead. What about the they, they were able to, they wanted to create a conspiracy so that other nations would fear them. Yeah, there's a lot of motivations why you would do that. I'm saying I can think of a lot of different motivations. Uh, but would you put so many potential uh, pieces of information that would disprove you? And you wouldn't do things that were restricted. Yeah, why would you do things that seem to be counterintuitive? Why would you do that? Uh, but why would you say that this can't be done again? If the experience happens once, it can happen again. Uh, and now the Torah is telling us for all of time. You know, you, you look back, ask the question: Did it ever claim to have happened? Now we're thirty three hundred years after this all allegedly happened, and it has never been claimed to have happened again. Yeah. 
Something that, had, that, could, that if it was made up once, it could very well have been made up again. Clearly, anyone of, of reasonable intelligence could, could, could reach that same conclusion. Like the, uh, you go ahead. People claim to be the Jesus, and then they follow them, and then it goes down, and then another one's come up and say, I'm the one. And yeah, this is also very important. The fact that if the Torah is true, this is uh, a nice uh, punctuation of the discussion. If the Torah is true, or was true, it still is true. Means what the Christians very interestingly you say uh, the Christians and the Mos- and the Muslims they're kind of they consider themselves to be the natural heirs or um, uh, yeah the, the, they're the they're the continuation of of the Ju- uh, of the Jewish um, replacement exactly they replaced us interestingly they made a very calculated decision not to question the legitimacy of the Torah no one questions no one of the Christians and the Muslims question the legitimacy of the Torah. But don't the Muslims in saying that um, Abraham took, took um, Ishmael? Yeah, so they did. They, they didn't do a great job of actually reading it. But they, but you know, but they don't claim that the Jews, Jewish people never had the. Uh, uh, yes, of course, they made some uh, silly mistakes. And lots of mistakes. Like, for example, Haman is put in the same generation as Pharaoh, when we know they lived hundreds and hundreds of years away from each other, uh, apart from each other. There's many, many, many very simple mistakes like that in the Quran. Just basic mistakes, uh, and then Christianity also has lots of just simple errors and simple contradictions, like so like who is who is the ancestry of, or maybe it's just was written what? by men. The ancestry of, of uh, the ancestry of Jesus. How did how did Jesus descend? In Matthew, Matthew and Luke, I think yeah. Matthew, Luke, or Matthew and John. I don't yeah. remember. It starts off like just how does Jesus descend from King David? One path, another path, just different names, different people. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, they have an explanation which I don't but, understand. But they, but they, they don't, they don't question. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. The line and lineage is different in one book. Yes, but there's some sort of explanation which I, you know, I don't want to disrespect anybody's faith. It, it sounds like gobbledygook to me. Uh, when, when you're I, just not a genealogist, or or you just don't believe in accepting things upon faith. Well, faith alone. So, uh, so to, in conclusion, in conclusion, uh, this is but some of the of the overwhelming evidences that we have to the actually the Torah, these miracles and revelations that uh, were recorded. The Torah is lived to the very people that experienced them, and once in all of human history have ever been claimed to have happened, and not only that, are predicted will never happen again. Uh, now, uh, the Muslims, the Christians, were very, you know, very clever in their uh, uh, rejection of Judaism. They decided to not reject the accuracy of the Torah, because the Torah is so um, incontrovertible that they were smart by saying, you know what, let's assume it was true. Oh, we're not questioning that. We're just saying it was replaced. You know. Problem with that is the multiple, multiple times that the Torah itself says, actually, this is the final book. <laughs> and this will never be replaced. And don't add, do not subtract any mitzvahs from the Torah. It says it multiple times in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Chapter. So it's not to change it, jot or tittle. Nothing. Don't change anything. It says uh, jot or tittle. It does pretty say pretty sure it says jot. I thought that was true. Well, that's, no, that's the testament. So, so that's that. Um, we, uh, 
we ha I have four more entire classes. I'm going through some of the more predictions of the Torah. <laughs> now, many predictions of the Torah came through and answered a lot of the common questions that we have. Hopefully, we'll incorporate that into further into further classes. But I think this alone should at least give us pause, or at least uh, encourage us to investigate the matter further. It's very important for us, even if we believe in Torah, it's important for us to have enough evidence uh, to uh, quelch uh, and squelch and quell any uh, naysayers. We have to know, the Torah says, of course, you have to know how to respond to a skeptic. Uh, and also for us, you know, this, this is uh, building our faith profile. And we have a remarkable amount of information that the Torah tells us, and it's valid if the Torah is true. And that's inspiring also that we're not, we haven't been living alive for thousands of years. It's based upon significant evidence that we could still today uh, find no way for us to falsify it. Go ahead. I was just thinking, I don't know where we were in the Torah, but looking at the Hebrew, all the Hebrew says, in God, well, some of it says, and God did this, and God said, and God took, and so-and-so took, like, God's into it a whole lot. And, God said to Moses, and then Moses said to the people, well, it's a lot of God yeah, so, talking. Yeah, go ahead. And then other people, and Isaac did this, and so-and-so did that. Yeah, so the Jewish, God the Jewish claim is, I mentioned this at the beginning, is that the Torah was written by Moses. However, every single word of the Torah was dictated to him by God. God so God tells Moses, write, and Moses said. Yeah. That's Moses writes in the third person. Mo Moses writes in the first person and say, uh, God told me to write a so-and-so. But, you know, and I said, it's not written in first person because God was dictated to Moses what Moses ought to write. And as a prophet, Moses could write what happened before uh, and also predictions of what happens afterwards. And we'll see that maybe in some future class but either way i think we have enough and also it sh it should we should feel uncomfortable i think it's a if you feel uncomfortable with the evidence that's a good thing uh because hopefully if we're intellectually honest we say okay it's true what does it mean if it's true what are the ramifications if it's true and if it's not true well what are the ramifications, what are the ramifications of that and if we're intellectually honest we should pursue uh this discussion because it's very very crucial and important for how we live our lives that's that. Everyone, thank you for, for yeah, staying and listening. Would you guys like, because we're building the curriculum uh, next year, like maybe one on the, on the same topic, like in prophecy, maybe all the prophecy in there. Well, there's more stuff. Predictions. I have two classes on predictions and Torah makes crazy predictions that no human with the right mind would make. Whatever, we'll do it. Yeah, we can do, we can do another one. What are you? Sure. Fantastic. Everyone, thank you so much. I want a wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. So it's next two weeks. We'll